I'm Julia, and welcome to Unnecessary Angst, your local YA tipsy book podcast. Perfect. Ooh, Amazing. I struggled there. No, you got all the words <laughs> out. That's what matters. I love when I, like, start saying it, and then I, like, kind of fall apart halfway through. I, I mean, honestly, it's better for you to say it than for me to say it, because I would, like, just go completely blank halfway through and then just stop talking, and it would it would be messy. We don't need that happening. Um, so, for the best, we do it this way. <laughs> but, Julia, how are you doing tonight? What are you drinking? I'm doing well. Um, my... I'm what, what am I drinking? I'm drinking a Gatinara, which I've definitely had multiple times before on this podcast because it's my go-to drink. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But I'm doing well. Um, my classes got pushed back to in-person. I mean, we, we have classes now, but the in-person move got pushed back until the end of February. So I'm, like, kind of struggling. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I don't I do not know what to do with myself for a whole extra month now. But whatever. Should come work um, out of San Francisco. I know. If it weren't so annoying to go back and forth. I, well, I thought about going back because my dad's birthday is coming up and it's his seventieth, so it's a big deal. Mm. Um but it's such a like a huge hassle to go back and forth with all of the testing and stuff. Um yeah while my classes are going on like that's my worry is like what if something happens and then I have to figure out like all these group projects when I'm like somewhere else and it's just it's so it's annoying right (laughs) and it's mostly the fault of my faculty because they really did not this whole process is I like understand that it's difficult because of COVID to plan anything but they went like end of January, actually February 7th, actually February 28th. It's like they don't think about people like me who are international who had to like make plans and now we're stuck here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just been really annoying. But not a whole lot else going on. I had a sugar overload today. This is how exciting my life is. <laughs> but I went to a coffee shop um, that I've been to before when I've come here. Uh, aroma espresso bar which we also have we have it back in new york city too but it's not it's not as widespread i think as it is in canada or at least in toronto mm-hmm. um and they're known for their chocolate coffee so they have Ooh. the aroma coffee which is like yeah they put chocolate like milk chocolate on the bottom of the cup and then fill it with um coffee and put this amazing whipped cream on top so good and they give you a spoon so you can spoon out the melted chocolate from the bottom <laughs> <laughs> so I got that to like comfort myself. So we're going there when I visit, right? Yeah, that's the place next to the bookstore that I was yeah. telling you about. <laughs> oh my god, I'm in I heaven. Know. <laughs> Not even there yet, and I'm and in heaven. <laughs> it's a really cute coffee shop too because it has a glass ceiling, so you feel really comfortable. Yeah. Um, but then I also, because I felt so bad for myself, I bought myself a chocolate croissant. I was so overloaded on chocolate, though. I was like, I did not think this through. <laughs> and I was, like, having, like, caffeine and sugar-high tremors <laughs> throughout the afternoon. <laughs> I was, like, on the couch suffering. <laughs> I have not had that much sugar in a long time. But, yeah, that's the most exciting thing going on with me. <laughs> what about you? What are you drinking? <laughs> um, I'm drinking a mediocre Pinot Noir. 
I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I opened it yesterday, and it's just, it's a Pinot Noir. Tastes like nothing, but also doesn't taste good like water. So I just, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's drinkable, though, so I'm <laughs> making it through. Oh, that sounds like 2022 so far. Yeah. I, I normally, I actually am, like, okay with the winery that this comes from, um, or at least the label that it comes from, but I'm not a big Pinot person anyways, so... But they sent me two Pinot. bottles. They sent me two bottles of the Pinot and only one of the Syrah and one of the Malbec. So I'm like savoring the Malbec and the Syrah for a later day and trying to get through the Pinots quickly. It's uh, my my new plan. But otherwise, I'm doing good. I'm tired because it was a long day today. Like yesterday was pretty chill. We just kind of hung out and did not a ton. I got a lot of reading done yesterday, which was really nice. Um, but for the most part, we just hung around the house and like watched TV and movies and stuff. And then today I decided we needed to get out of the house. So we went on like this little road trip around Northern California. Um, cute. Yes. Took a lot of driving energy though. So I'm a little drained, but it's fine. It's fine. We went and had a really good lunch. The burger place we went had truffle fries, so you know I was in heaven because they were my favorite food. Mm. I haven't had truffle fries in so long. (laughs) Yeah, they were $14. Like, they were honestly more expensive than the cocktail I got, but you know what? Ooh. Worth it. I don't care. I love truffle fries. Mm. I will always splurge on truffle fries if they're on a menu. Exactly. Though. And Whatever. you don't have them every day. It is right. a splurge. It's a splurge. McDonald's doesn't serve them, so <laughs> it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine um, one day McDonald's starts selling truffle fries. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's really funny to I'd me. get so fat so quickly. <laughs> It would be bad. But they wouldn't because it's too expensive for them. They don't. Yeah, it it would be crazy. There's no margin for them to do truffle fries because there's truffle oil is just too expensive for their menu. It doesn't make sense. But um, yeah, so we did that. And then I stopped at a like indie bookstore in Half Moon Bay, California. And it was a really cute little shop. Lots of like fun little trinkets and stuff. And not a hugely wide book selection, but... Somehow I still managed to get seven books. It's so, indie. Or eight books. It's got to support local businesses. <laughs> Even if they're not mine. Um, but I've been doing a lot better about, like, trying to at least pre-order a couple of books every year. So there's a local-ish bookstore about 30 minutes from me where I can pre-order books through. So I've already pre-ordered my copy of Babel. Um, nice. By R.F. Kuang from them. And then I'm thinking there's a couple of other books I want to pre-order the the new Emily Henry book and then um the book of night by Holly Black and then Gallant by V.E. Schwab um are all pre-order books for me this year so I'm gonna pre-order them all through through that place eventually um flashlight books in Walnut Creek local indie bookstore (laughs) And then I think there's a really cool, like, comic book graphic novel shop in Concord that I need to check out soon. Because I'm really trying to get into comic books and manga and, like, graphic novels. That's my going to be my Oh, there's a, obsession. there's a graphic novel shop near me, too. So <laughs> we're going to be hitting all of the bookstores. <laughs> and then we're going to run into the exact same issue that we had when I visited you in New York, where <laughs> I could not get anything back in my 
Oh boy. It's fine. Did I tell you when I um when I flew back from Washington to California that I got stopped by TSA for my carry-on, not because there was anything wrong in my bags, but I just had so many hardcover books <laughs> that they couldn't scan through them, so they had to manually search my bag. And the guy's like, "How many books do you have in here?" And I was like, "Listen, I I went to a couple bookstores while I was home. Some were Christmas presents, and, like, I didn't want the weight to be in my suitcase that I checked. And he's like, that makes sense. You got good taste. I was like, thank you. Oh, boy. So Causing problems for the TSA. But, you know, I'm glad at least our lives are, like, somewhat boring <laughs> um, because we have a lot to unpack for our children's not boring lives in uh the savage song and what we think they're going to be up to next because they've gotten themselves into some crazy situations so far and uh i have no doubt that the next book is going to be just as crazy so we have we have some predictions to make and some uh wrap up to discuss julia and i hope we remember how to do this because it's been so long since we did a wrap up i know i was just checking through all my notes, I'm like, oh my god, do I even remember what happened at the beginning of the book? Seriously. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm struggling to, like, remember. It's been... I mean, A, it's been so, so long since we started this book. But then, like, even before starting this book, we read two other books before it in, like, random mm-hmm. episodes. And then took, like, a month-long break. <laughs> So it's been so long since we filmed a wrap-up episode. Um, so everyone, please bear with us as we... Please. Figure our way through this podcast episode. <laughs> but probably a good place to start would just be to, I don't know, discuss discuss our thoughts of, of this book. This uh, lovely, dark... YA Fantasy by V.E. Schwab, um, or Victoria Schwab, I think, is technically on, on this book's cover. Uh, so, Julie, why don't, why don't you start? Why don't you tell us what your original thoughts were of the book compared to the final considerations and feelings? <laughs> I feel like because you kind of warned me about, like, red herrings and kind of stuff like that, I, I mean, I can't personally, honestly, remember, like, my predictions from the very beginning, but I feel like most of what I predicted was somewhat true, like, with, um, Kate's father being and not a good guy, and you kept, like, trying to change my mind, you were like, well, maybe he's a family man, you don't know, and I was like, sure, maybe he is a family man, but guess what, he was definitely not a family man. Um... I just think it's interesting, too, just on... Because we talked a lot, like, not even thinking about plot right now. We talked a lot throughout all of this. Um, I remember um, her writing style and how, like, beautifully she will write. But um, I don't want to be, like, mean. But, like, I guess a little bit critical towards the end where it feels like all of that kind of nice writing, she added in a lot of, like, musical kind of... Um, influences and references and stuff which makes sense with August and everything and the Savage Song being the title I feel like we lost that at the end like it was all packed into the first half of the book and then we got into this like action sequence and it's like 
when I try to write anything along where like you focus only on the plot like you don't focus anymore on the writing as much which is fine but like I don't know I, I guess I was kind of disappointed looking back on it now that I feel like we spent so much time praising it and then like towards the end we just stopped because there was nothing more to it than the plot to talk about um but that could just be me I don't know <laughs> I was saying I, that's definitely true. I think we lose a lot of the um, the beautiful prose when she writes action sequences. The one exception that I do think matters is like when she's talking about August about to turn dark or like when he does turn dark and sort of everything around his like monsterness through those action sequences, we still get yeah. a lot of beautiful prose. But it's definitely trails off um when we're more focused on Kate and we get a lot more focused on Kate because she's better at describing those action sequences because August is incapacitated and we can't really rely on him as a narrator so the more we get from Kate the less beautiful prose we get you are correct in that (laughs) um but yeah so other than that though other than her writing which is still really good for YA books like she does give a very clear picture of everything that's going on which I appreciate because I feel like especially action sequences they're they're clearly not her strong suit (laughs) but she does it well for what she can do but other than that um what I really appreciate was August (laughs) he stays so consistent up until the very end where uh, obviously like he's gonna go through this whole change but like I think it's really hard in my age, too, to get a very consistent character. Mm-hmm. But, like, these are teenagers. And it's hard to remember that sometimes. But I think I would say, like, both Kate and August remain teenagers despite, you know, everything else that's happening. They're still kind of... They have juvenile thinking without being juvenile all the time. Um, like, some of their decisions that they make are questionable. They don't necessarily think everything through. Like, with the whole... Um, necklace thing like that's something that I feel like Kate should have been wary of I wasn't wary of it when I should have been wary (laughs) so but she kind of grew up in that world um you know but that's just me again I don't know yeah I don't I think that I'm trying to I'm really trying to remember back on like predictions that I had there wasn't a whole lot I think that the other one though was what's his name uh, Harker's sidekick. Why am I already blanking on his name? Sloan. Sloan. I feel like I got bad but bi- Like, we should go back and check this, but I feel like I got bad vibes from Sloan from the start. Um, you picked him but as I an MVP. Wrong. Oh my god, did I? Yes! Okay, see, this is why I need to go back and, like, re-listen to what we put down. You have this habit of being like, yeah, I mean, I get kind of sketchy vibes, but maybe they're not that bad with, like, the most objectively I, bad characters. Because <laughs> you did this with Felix, too. I know, because I want them to, like, I want them to kind of prove me wrong, you know? I want to have, like, Then we an need anti-villain. to be reading adult books if you want anti-heroes, because... It's YA. It's going to be very black and white most of the time. I know. Because you don't want to confuse teenagers. You need to teach them the right kinds of life lessons. Yeah. Just saying. 
<laughs> anyway, let's just forget that I gave Slow an MVP. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of other thoughts. I feel like this was a lot of, this book consisted mostly of like world building and kind of getting us to a point where we're going to see a lot more development for both characters so i'm excited about that how about you any thoughts on the riri <laughs> um i i think i was like really focused on the reread on the setting a lot more than i was when i first read it like when i first read it it was very much oh here are the characters you know like I want to, like, learn about these characters and, like, how they interact with one another. And I was hoping for them to, like, be something to one another and, like, grow in a relationship of some sort, whatever it, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> and I think this time, especially because as we were reading it, we were trying to make all the pop culture references. I was really more so focused on, like, the urban dystopian setting and, like, letting myself just kind of live in the world that they were living in and like focusing on the lore and like how the monsters all interacted with one another and um why that mattered and like the class differences between the monsters almost um and just like really vibing with that because I already kind of knew the characters and like how they were with one another and how they related to one another and then I was a lot more engaged and interested in sort of like dissecting Ilsa on reread and like just really thinking about mm -hmm. you know the words that she was saying and the point of her character and why she was making the choices that she was making and how she interacted with everyone else um because again i think when you first read the book you're so caught up in like august and kate and august and kate and everything that they're doing and we definitely talked a lot about ilsa but i think she w became much more prominent to me in in the second read of the book than she was in the first read wish i would have spent more time caring about henry and emily but we barely see them so like no <laughs> just couldn't couldn't be helped um and then i think the other thing that was really interesting having now reread this after reading bits and pieces of the cruel prince the differences and and after reading shatter me like the bits and pieces that are like different but also similar between other dystopian like shitty dads between Maddox and Harper or Harker and um Paris Anderson like they're also different it's so similar in so many ways I still feel like this is the uh that the Cruel Prince is the only book series where I'm still like praying and hoping that the dad is gonna change <laughs> Whereas, like, with Shadow Me and with this one, I've, like, completely written them off. I'm like, nope, these mediocre white men who have power complexes that I hate. I don't want to deal with it. But Maddox, I'm still rooting for him. You are really, like, gunning for Maddox here. It's, it's funny. It's so much harder in The Queen of Nothing. Like, so much <laughs> harder. <laughs> but we're talking about that next week, and I still need to finish that book, so... <laughs> we'll keep everyone posted um but yeah i think those are the things that probably popped out to me the most up upon reread um oh the other thing i would note is i spent way more time dissecting sort of like the 
politics and like the systemic challenges that are being faced by this society I think on reread you know breaking it down to how it was similar or dissimilar to class and race relations in our actual society and like how different the different zones and like the amounts of money that people had in North City impacted their ability to like function and flow throughout society and like how it's a metaphor for city living in a lot of ways in American society nowadays and how you really lose a lot of protections mm-hmm. when you don't have the money to make up for stuff. So yep. um, that was a lot clearer to me, I think, on reread again because I wasn't so focused on August and Kate and, like, trying to understand the world. But I could take that step back and really just, like, think about the world a little bit more holistically rather than, like, okay, what's a Malkai versus what's a Corsair versus what's a Sunai? Since I read it so quickly. That was me. I was like, I spent most of my time trying to just figure things out. And you're right. I feel like if I did a reread similar to you, I would be able to actually like absorb the actual like environment and everything that that's happening. Because it's a lot to try and understand. Like, I remember I had so many questions for you at the start. Like, I was like, I don't know the difference between this and this. Like, what is going on? Where are we? Where is he going to school? What's happening? (laughs) I know. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I can't. I know you because she does it's the hard thing with Schwab um especially with this book in particular I haven't found this as much of a challenge in her adult books but in this book in particular it's really good world building but she can both simultaneously be heavy-handed and soft-handed with it like we at the same time are getting hit over the head with information but also not being given enough information <laughs> yes that is and it, correct <laughs> it makes it really hard to sort of like track like i remember and i think i warned you about this going into the book when i first read it i was so lost the whole like mm-hmm. literally the whole first half of the book i'm like who why what (laughs) how like literally just repeating question words with no other context in my head because I was very confused by what the world was but I like it that way actually like yes it is confusing but it was still easy to read it wasn't like tediously confusing like you could still kind of like run through it pretty quickly so then yeah the book is really rereadable from that end where you can then go back and sort of like fill in the blanks once you've actually gotten all the context by like 75% of the book being done. That's what I was going to say. It's like I feel like because my hardest thing was like understanding the Sunai but it's this sort of thing where like the further into it you read it's like you're given more context Mm -hmm. so you can kind of piece together what you learned at the beginning with what you are told later on about like how they're essentially born and stuff because right it was like basically at the beginning we're like oh he's born out of some sort of huge thing at a school and that's like all you know and i'm like are all Sunai born at some huge catastrophe kind of thing? At a school? Do they yeah. have to play a violin? Like, right. the whole, like, concept of, like, having to have this, like, instrument was so wild to me. Like, I could not, like, grasp that. Like, I just didn't get it. <laughs> so. Until you see him actually do it. And then it makes sense. You know, exactly. then it kind of clicks. Exactly. Um, yeah. I will say, I think, because I, I haven't finished the series. The only book I've read in from blood and ash is from blood and ash um now <laughs> i do not think it is a book series you would enjoy 
personally. <laughs> okay. I, I barely enjoyed the first book, but um, that is a kind of book for where it's like an example of the world building being so, so much and also nothing at all, but not done well. Because at least here, it's like you eventually actually get the information that you need and it feels with the exception of a couple of times of Kate being really, really heavy-handed and describing something that she's watching on a video, um, for the most part, the world building's pretty naturally embedded into the story. Like, as things are happening, we learn things about how everyone interacts with one another. From Blood and Ash, your main character knows nothing, and the entire book, she's just picking up whispers that some are true, some are not, and you kind of have to, like, piece it together, and then by the end, you're like, Oh, that's all it was. You couldn't have just told us that at the beginning from a third-party narrator, like really? Because the whole point of the first book is like the mystery of what their world actually is that she has to figure it out. And then by the end of the book, she actually figures it out and it's fucking vampires. Woo! <laughs> Spoiler alert, I guess, for From Blood and Ash. But honestly, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you read YA books... Don't believe anyone that says those books are YA. They are not. They are adult and do not read them. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but, yeah, those were my reread thoughts. Should we talk about the characters? Yes, let's talk about them. Okay. I tried to leave Kate and August for the end um, because I, I feel like we can kind of, like, slam through a couple of the other ones and sort pretty quickly and that they might take a little bit more time um I don't know about you I also have not thought about this at all so I'm gonna have to do either. a lot like I think that we said a couple times at the very beginning like oh that's such a Slytherin thing to do but like unlike the last few books that we read yeah. we really were not sorting them over the course of the podcast which is really interesting yep I think we sorted moments. We didn't necessarily sort characters. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. we'll we'll see. It'll be wonder what that means. Uh, we just have stopped caring about Harry Potter as much. <laughs> or they're more complicated to sort. Or a combo of the two. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever stop caring about Harry Potter though. No, that that's is, true. Yeah. That is true. Um, okay. First up. Sloane. I think we should say what Hogwarts house we would put Sloane into on three. So I'll count one, two, three, and then we'll say, ready? Mm -hmm. One, two, three. Slytherin. <laughs> no question. Um, yeah. He's uber ambitious. Yeah. There's... Oh, God, yeah. There's nothing There's more nothing to, say, to about say. He's just like he is a snake in monster form. He is creepy and scary and has ambitions that are completely self-focused. He has red eyes like Voldemort. Done. There you go. <sighs> Even features he looks like a Slytherin. <laughs> Probably has no nose, so you know. Oh, oh god. Um, okay, next up. Harker. Harker. Should we do the same thing? Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll count this time. One, two, three, Slytherin. Slytherin. 
Also, he's very ambitious and power hungry, but also like cannot deal with giving up his power. Like he will trick anybody find any way he can to keep a hold of his power and, you know, maintain it. Now, is he an idiot? Yes. Because he trusts another <laughs> Slytherin. That was a bad choice on his part, to be honest. Like, he should have known True. that Sloane had just as much ambition as he did and that uh, they were not on the same side. But he's he didn't. He is the human version of Sloane in every possible way, except yep. maybe a little bit dumber than Sloane. And he at least did love his wife. At one point. Yes. The only thing that would, like, point. lead me to say maybe not Slytherin is the fact that he does not, la- like, he lacks all of those familial protection instincts mm-hmm. to an extent. But, like, I also think, you know, separate from Narcissa Malfoy, like, if you take just Lucius Malfoy, if Draco hadn't followed in his footsteps and done exactly what he'd wanted him to do, he might have just cut him off and been like, you're no son of mine um, kind of vibes. Because he didn't seem to like Draco branching out on his own or having other thoughts and feelings other than the ones that he was trying to instill in him. And so I feel like a lot of that's very Harker-minded as well. Agreed. Very much agreed. He'll love his family, but he'll only love his family if his family will be what he wants it to be. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, Leo. I feel like he could be a little bit harder because... I think so. He kind of, to me, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there now, but like he kind of, to me, flip-flops. But he's like the darker flip-flop between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Like he's that negative part that kind of connects both houses I was going to say like, Ravenclaw. He's smart. Yeah, I think he he probably is more of a Ravenclaw. Cause I don't I think, think that kind of ambition is there. That Slytherin would be. Well, and it's not self-ambition either. Like, he sees yeah. this. It's almost like he's envisioning this, like, framework for how the world is supposed to function. And he's noticing all of these little things here and there that are causing that framework to not be his ideal. And so he's just making every effort he can to fix it. Now, doing it so goddamn wrong. And also, he's never actually taking the second to realize that his framework is wrong. But, like, he is very smart and capable and, like, does not, you know, take easy routes. He'll, like, try to find the the complex way to do something or, like, challenge the status quo on, like, how to do certain things. So, like, even if we think about him as a Sunai, right, putting aside everything else, he's the only one of the Sunai that has figured out how to be both in shadow and not at the same time. Like, he's pushed his ability to the limits because he's interested in learning how to make the most of himself and his power in a way that is intellectually curious. Um, not just so he can be better at being a Sunai and, like, be the best Sunai ever, but, like, because he wants to find new and different ways to just exist in the world. And, like, there's that creativity that Ravenclaw is known for, right? Like, Ilsa and 
um, August don't exhibit that in the same way. So, and separately, again, with the Ravenclaws talk about creativity, it's one of the things that our house is known for. Um, <laughs> both August and Ilsa have one instrument that they can use. Leo's found a way to utilize his power using almost any instrument. I think it also, the fact that he could recognize that Sloane could help him in some way with all of basically what you've mentioned of, like, mm-hmm. um, getting to that framework especially um, is pretty Ravenclaw. Yep. To know that he can't do this alone, that he needs somebody like Sloane who has that ambition to get there. But unlike Harker, he doesn't trust that that person is going to be on his side, which is why he ends up killing him. Yeah. He's like, you know... We, it's almost that, like, dispenser of justice in that very, like, black and white way that I think also we can attribute to Ravenclaw, where, because it's very Athenian, almost, where, you know, it's like, we made a deal. The deal was to make my framework a reality. You (laughs) helped with part of that deal, but then you tried to kill my brother. That was not part of the deal. Therefore, justice must be dispensed. Very eye for an eye old school Athenian vibe in you know, she's the goddess of wisdom so <laughs> uh, yeah I think Leo the Ravenclaw it's fine we put shitty people in your house all the time I need to suck it up and just accept <laughs> it I'll be okay um Ilsa mm, she's harder for me at least I I think she's a Hufflepuff. Okay, me too. Great. I was kind of teetering between, honestly, Hufflepuff and Gryffindor. Mm. Because I think she shows a lot of Gryffindor's kind of, you know, bravery, standing up for what's right, blah, 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 blah. But I think ultimately she's doing it from a place of familial loyalty. And I think that's stronger for her than any sort of, like, justice. Like, it really comes down to feeling like she's protective over August. Um, And I think just general kindness. Like, she doesn't want... She feels a lot of pain and internalizes a lot of pain and just, like, suffering, and she doesn't want the world to feel that way. And so she's very Mm self-sacrificial, but not in the Gryffindor. Like, Hufflepuffs can be self-sacrificial, you know? Like, they... From a fairness perspective, it's, like, almost like she recognizes that, like, the way that the world is existing isn't fair, and this is the one thing she can do to try to, like, right the balance. She's not going to go out and, like, try to kill a bunch of people. She's not going to go out and, like, throw herself to the wolves um, or do what she did previously by going dark and, like, causing a massacre um, because she recognizes that, like, that place on the battlefield is not hers that's for her brothers um but she's still going to find the smaller minute ways that she can make a difference even just giving august a kind word you know sidling up and like giving allegro a pet those little small things that she can Mm -hmm. do to make the world a better place to try to equalize the fairness level a little bit she's just she's not smart enough to be ravenclaw Otherwise, I would say she's very Luna-esque, but... She is very Luna-esque, but I think Luna was always very intellectually there. Like, she came off very kind of, like, 
Ilsa-ish in her demeanor, but I think that she was much more logical than Ilsa is. <laughs> when I think I mean, Luna, but... Luna exhibited the like creative whimsy side of Ravenclaw like you can get the riddles you're very smart where you can like understand Mm -hmm. how all the things connect but you're doing it in a place where your head is off in the clouds not necessarily grounded in reality um yeah whereas Ilsa doesn't quite hit that bar of being able to connect all the dots that's why she's so scared of everything that's going on because she doesn't understand how to process all the things that she's feeling and like why she's feeling those things she sees these cracks in the earth and then the world but she doesn't quite understand like how they tie to her and why she's the only one that can see them whereas a Ravenclaw might be able to like piece all of that together mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah. okay Henry Henry's tough. I feel like he's kind of, he gets me, I, I feel, well, I feel like, so both Henry and Emily especially, I feel like we don't get a whole lot of them when I would mm-hmm. really like to see more of them. So it's hard to kind of come up with, like, we only really see glimpses of, the, glimpses of their personalities and kind of, like, what they're working towards. But Henry gives me kind of very classic Gryffindor kind of vibes, I agree. Yeah, I was going to say Gryffindor. Where it feels like he's... Yeah, he's doing everything because he feels like it's good for society, essentially. Like, he wants to keep the peace. He doesn't really know what's going on over the border there. <laughs> but he will, you know, fight for the necessary fight. That's that's what I'm getting from him. I, I want to see more of him. I feel like he's a good character. I agree. I would love to see more of him. I think he's very um, brave in the way that he chooses mm-hmm. to run things. But... And he is also very caring in a way that, like, someone who's power-hungry yeah. wouldn't be. Like, he cares about his soldiers. He cares about his kids. He cares about his family. But not enough to the point where he's going to, like, overprotect them or keep them from putting themselves in harm's way. Like, he'll recognize his assets when he has them and recognizes that, like, danger is just part of the job and we all need to kind of put on that brave face and push ourselves out there once we're ready that's why he keeps august sort of like close to the chest before that um and i don't really think that you know i think the the bravery and the doing the right thing and the protecting the city is more important to him than protecting his family and keeping them all safe and secure like doing the right thing Mm -hmm. is definitely more important to him than other sort of ambitions or, or tasks. So I definitely, yeah. yeah. Gryff- Gryffindor makes sense. Very classic hero fighting on the battlefield, leader of a war kind of a thing. This is when I hope we could, like, I know we're jumping in predictions, but I really hope that we kind of get to see that pan out more in the second book. I hope it's right. <laughs> Especially, I really don't want him to turn Harker on us. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, God. That would be sad. But yeah, we need to figure out who our villain... I have a feeling... Well, also predictions, but I have a feeling our main villain is going to be coming from one of the other districts. On Kate's side. Oh, God. (laughs) Plus Sloane and Alice, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that. I didn't put... We'll talk about this. (laughs) You'll see this. I didn't put Alice on our house ranking because, like, she came in so much last minute. Yeah. It didn't make sense. Um, And I didn't put Alice Harker on our rating either because she was not technically a live character during the chapter. Yeah. We did Um, not get much of either of them. mm -mm. No, not enough. Uh, Okay. Emily. 
<clears throat> what do you think? I, I don't really... I'm on the fence. Between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Same. I'm very much of the mindset that Emily is on the fence, but I'm leaning towards Gryffindor. But okay. I I see her as a Molly Weasley. So, like, yeah. she's... familial Gryffindor. Yeah, she's the mom. She's going to take care of her kids and, like, make sure that the home is still a safe place to come back to. And I get we didn't see this beforehand, but, like, she did not have to marry Flynn. She did not have to support the creation of this whole task force, this whole army, this whole organization. She did not have to take the Sunai in. But again, she recognizes that, like, it's the right thing to do to further the cause and to keep people safe. And she's going to support her husband in that endeavor to move forward. Um, And I think from that angle, like, that's where I kind of see her as Molly Weasley, where she would worry about her kids in battle or if something were to happen to them. But she would be there fighting or doing whatever she could to keep, you know, them winning in the war rather than just, like, giving up and hiding or trying to keep them safe and protect them from the fight. And so that willingness to allow them to go out into the heat of battle and just kind of support them from the sidelines makes is a very brave decision for a mom to have to make, even though I get that they're not biologically hers, but still it's a really brave decision for a mom to have to make to let your kids go out into battle like that. Um, so I think just that level of bravery has to make her Gryffindor. Okay. I'm going to stay Hufflepuff then just okay. to put, you know. So we finally have some dissidence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's kind of everything that you mentioned, but more like waited on that the Hufflepuff aspect where she's well first of all she has to be very very patient to have brought up three Sunai like that is an insane task which again that's a very Gryffindor thing to do but it's also I think a very Hufflepuff thing to do and I think in that particular case that would have been to me more patience led than bravery led um but you know we don't really know the backstory of how these three Sunai were necessarily brought up like who knows if she was actually that patient maybe it is a Harker situation again where like we don't know the full story maybe it's just recent that she's become very very family oriented kind of like with Um, August coming into the family because we only get his perspective and he adores her exactly like we don't know what her kind of relationship with leo for instance was like he turned into this crazy monster was that on his own accord did maybe emily and henry both mess up somewhere along the way and that's what triggered it probably the former but you never know (laughs) so i'm just gonna say hufflepuff so we can we can have the split a little bit of a break i do think she's yeah and i think she is very much the definition of like both gryffindor and hufflepuff yeah um allegro the cat <laughs> the cat <laughs> oh my god well, what what would you say cat's a ravenclaw it's a very intuitive cat <sighs> allegro knows which ones are good and which ones are bad 
he does. And he's able to listen when August asks those questions and, like, provide the reassurance that he needs. True, true, true. Very intuitive, smart cat. And he also kind of, like, like, especially early on, like, was able to suss out, like, right when August may need him to, like, be there, when Ilsa may need him to be there, and then, like, when to kind of make himself scarce. Smart cat. Not all cats are that smart. Ravenclaw cat. Ravenclaw cat. You agree? Many cats are, in fact, not smart at all. That's true. (laughs) Also, come on, I need something. I love cats. I need something other than Leo in my house. I know. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. All right, now we get into our really challenging ones. Do you want to do Kate or August first? Let's do Kate. Okay. Not that I have any idea where to place her. She is an enigma. She changes so much from the start of the book to now. Like, I think at the start of the book, I honestly would have been, like, Slytherin. No question. Like, she has her own agenda. She's ambitious in her own way. She's not, she doesn't want to take over the world, but she wants to prove to her father. Again, Mm -hmm. the, like, very loyal family, negative, dark aspect there. Mm -hmm. That she is this strong and powerful young lady and that she is his daughter. And then towards the end of the book, I don't know, because all of that gets thrown out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But we're rating her for the book, right? So, like... Yes. How she is in the next book may be a completely different rating. But the bulk of the book, what would you say she was? Yeah. I think she, she for me, was Slytherin throughout I most agree. of it. Because until the end where she figures out that her father has done these terrible things, she still wanted to, like, prove herself. And she still had that trust in her father as well. Like, she was not going to break that blood bond. Until the end. And then she was like, hold on. (laughs) Even when she didn't necessarily trust, like, she very much was trying to be the trust but verify. She'd break into his office and Mm -hmm. steal shit and look stuff up and, like, do all the stuff that she definitely should not have been doing. But to keep furthering her own investigation and her goals, and she was so intent on doing everything by herself because she wanted to prove that she was capable of, like, accomplishing all of these tasks and I feel like that aspect of her still hasn't been lost right she could have asked August to come with her or gone with August and she's like nope I'm just gonna move to a new country by myself fuck all y'all goodbye (laughs) just to show that I can do it by myself (laughs) yeah like unnecessary just chill a little bit (laughs) So, yeah, I agree with Slytherin because she uh, unnecessarily isolates herself to accomplish her ambitions um, and is not as uh, collaborative as some of the other houses might be. Though aspects of that are Ravenclaw-ish as well, but uh, she's kind of a dumbass a lot of the time, so I wouldn't really she is. her into Ravenclaw. She doesn't, she, it's like she she'll think. see something and, yeah, and she just goes for it. She doesn't think it through logically. A Ravenclaw would think it through, like, all those different steps and the possible outcomes. And she's like, we're going full speed ahead. (laughs) Right. And so this is where it's, I think, really interesting where we get into the differences between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. Because I know that we sort Jude into Gryffindor. And Jude is, like, our foil for Kate, right? Like, the two of them are so Mm -hmm. similar in so many ways. Jude is a Gryffindor. Kate is a Slytherin. Um, And... 
but they're both so close to the other aspects of the house, which is fascinating to me. But yeah, I would agree. I would agree that Kate is a is a Slytherin. I um, want to yes. see if this is going to remain consistent, though, later on. Me too. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, okay. August. I oh, think God. he's a Hufflepuff. Okay. Why do you think he's a Hufflepuff? So, again, one of the trademarks... I, was, I know I was talking about this earlier, but one of the trademarks of a Hufflepuff house is, like promoting fairness and like Mm -hmm. fairness being at the crux of everything that they do and that's also the crux of like the existence of the sunais right is justice and making sure that the society that they're in is just that people are being punished for their crimes now leo takes that in a very extreme crazy way elsa dispenses it in her own way as well but august is constantly plagued by, like, the mental gymnastics that it takes to determine what the actual fair and just path forward is. And he is, he intrinsically struggles every time he commits an action that is not just. Or in his mind doesn't fit the value system that he wants his brand of justice to be associated with. So this this idea of, like, fairness and having balance is so ingrained into every action and decision that he makes. It's why he tries to hold Kate back from committing murders and, like, he'll do bad things in her place because he doesn't want her soul to be further tainted. You know, like, he's trying so hard to make the world just because even, especially at the end when he finally recognizes, like, who he is and that he's not actually human, then he uses that recognition and that realization to make everyone else's lives as easy as possible and take the burden onto himself. And some aspects of that could be sort of Gryffindory, but I think the extra focus on, like, fairness and having the most even playing field for everyone is what makes August a cinnamon roll and a Hufflepuff. (laughs) Thank you. My debate has ended. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that he's a Gryffindor, which I'm going to say this was hard. Like, the other one for me was Hufflepuff for basically all of the reasons that you said, but I'm also thinking back to, again, the beginning of the book where he talks a lot about wanting to join the force. Like, he doesn't really know what's going on. Like, he has a basic idea of what's out there and, like, what the force does and, like, based on what Henry and Emily have told him. He's like, I just want to do something with myself and that is going to be joining the force because I have this special ability, like, let me do stuff, let me do good in the world. Um, and that's kind of like blind bravery because he doesn't really fully know what's going to happen. He's never left his room, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then everything that kind of happens with Kate, I think, where they have to go off on their own because he recognizes that it's not safe right. um, for Kate, but also not really safe for him as a Sunai because uh, he was kind of, he got weird vibes at the school with everything that went down. So I think that it was took a lot of bravery to just leave the city, first of all. Like, he's barely left his home. <laughs> now he's leaving the city to go to the outskirts. Like, yeah. And he, he, you know, suffers a bit, but he gets through it. And then the, fa- the face, face down, <laughs> smacked out, <laughs> the face off with, um, <laughs> 
with uh, Sloane and Leo, like, that's tough. Especially yeah. with Leo, who he grew up with. And I think he kind of had this, like, feeling like maybe Leo will change his mind. Um, and then it turns out Leo is not a good character at all. And that that's really, really tough for him. But he stuck it out. He stuck it out. So, Yeah. I, he just Fair. gives me Gryffindor vibes from all of that, but I think really similar to Emily again, kind of teeters between both. Yeah, that's funny because I picked Gryffindor for Emily. You picked Hufflepuff. I know. Doing the opposite <laughs> for August, <laughs> which means our tally is uh, the same across the yes, board. That's true. So that's fun. Um, so looking at this, um, it looks like our. Can I count quickly? Let's see. We have three Hufflepuffs, three <laughs> Gryffindors, two Ravenclaws, and three Slytherins. Wow. That very was like a pretty even spread. Yeah. yeah. I'm very, very I am impressed. All right. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um... We're really good at sorting. Like, honestly, people should just hire us to be the sorting hat. With the exception of the Cruel Prince, where everyone's a fucking Slytherin. We're great at this. <laughs> at making sure there's well, a bed for every kid. It's, what, I'm a Slytherin, you're a Ravenclaw. We have to think things through in, in our different ways. We put our heads together. It's perfect. We make magic, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Oh, God. We are okay. the sorting hat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hire us for your services, Warner Brothers. Please, I have <laughs> Just don't ask us to sort anyone in Ilvermone, because I won't be good oh, at that. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, like, know next to nothing out with the Ilvermone houses. Also, I'm still really bitchy at them for picking um, Native American mythological creatures. Oh, man. As houses. There's no reason JKR should have done that. She's so problematic. God. <sighs> not what we're talking about today. Um, character MVPs. So, probably not a surprise. <laughs> I'm just moving on real quick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about our unbalanced character MVPs. Okay, well, to be fair, the book is mostly august and kate we had whole mm-hmm. chapter sections that literally we didn't see any other characters so it's kind of hard to have unbal or to have balanced mvps in this particular book um but actual shock to me um our winner of the tally of mvps for across the chapters was kate we picked her. That's shocking to me too. We picked her as MVP thirteen times. Um, we picked August eleven times. So that that was a shock to me. I guess it's just because there's that whole section when he was like freaking out when they were outside of the waste, where we didn't pick him very much because he was just like out of his mind and like not helpful in any way shape or form (laughs) plus early on in the chapters i was being like really aggressive and trying to pick people that were not key to the story whatsoever when i could have been picking august (laughs) but um yeah i will say i think you know of out of the two of them kate definitely did more work 
from both a character she growth did. and just like actual physical work perspective. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she was injured and bleeding out and like was like, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> He's like, so, wait, I need yeah. to stitch you. And she's like, I'm fine. It's fine. Let's, I'll drive us to a house in the woods. Okay. Okay. Great. She's, meanwhile, August is like losing his mind. <laughs> I know. All these poor kids. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of surprising to me that we picked Kate Moore, but it does seem fitting given th- how the book progressed. I do really think in a lot of ways she was the most valuable player in both progressing plot because, you know, she made all of the connections and like tried to kidnap August and was the reason for so many of the plot points happening. So yep. good on her. Um, but then probably also oh. not... A huge surprise, our next biggest MVP, who did have more than one vote, the only other character other than those two that had more than one vote, was Ilsa, because we love her. Checks out. We now, do love Ilsa. Yeah. The rest of this, um, I don't need to read through all of these. The only thing I just, again, wanted to point out, that for the most part, all the people that have one vote were background characters, with the exception of Emily. Um... But that means all of these other background characters and Emily and Allegro tied for MVP with Sloane. Because Wait, of Julia. when did you give Allegro MVP? Oh, that was definitely me. I love That's that cat. so funny. I gave it to I him. I too. I will tell you when I gave it to him. I gave it to him, uh, verse 2, chapters 9 through 10, and you gave it to Ilsa. Okay. And then the chapters uh, okay. before that, you gave it to Sloan. Oh, God. Let's not remember that. <laughs> First two chapters, seven through eight. I love also Bathroom Guy. Who on <laughs> earth was Bathroom Guy? <laughs> that was the guy that helped August when they were at the truck stop, where he August was kind of having a mental breakdown, and the guy was like, hey, it's going to be okay. Life will go on. And I was like, yes, Bathroom Guy. <laughs> I just love it. School counselor, pharmacist, truck driver, bathroom bag guy. This sounds like in like a movie credit scene where they don't have full names. I know. It's just like giving context. Well, and also with the exception of truck driver, all of those were me. So <laughs> that's on me. Truck oh driver's on you. <laughs> well, at least truck driver like played a part that I think lasted two chapters, didn't he? Yeah. So, at least he was there for two chapters. School counselor, pharmacist, and bathroom guy were there for, like, barely any time. Hey, but the drugs that the school counselor gave her made an appearance in later chapters. Oh, okay. So it was a lasting presence. And and the bathroom guy helped August get through at least three or four more chapters before he lost his mind fully. So, oh my God. lasting impact, not just lasting existence in the book. That's what matters. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's talk through some predictions for the sequel. Um, Julia, what do you think are going to happen in our dark duets? I think, uh, first of all, Sloane is going to (laughs) die. That is not really a prediction so much as a hope, but I'm going to call it a prediction because I was so disappointed at the end of the book where he didn't die. I was like, this is not Game of Thrones all over again. (laughs) 
You're like, I saw the body, goddammit. I know. I'm so annoyed. Um, I think that uh, lists, I guess, I, I don't know how to put this, but I think that um, Alice, uh, the, what, 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 what is Alice? Is do we do we know she's she, a Malkai. she was born out of okay she was a Malkai. great so if you remember or don't remember corsi are born from assault um whether it's sexual or physical mm. but no death occurs Malkai are from individual murders and sunai are from mass murders okay that is such a simple way of putting it like i wish it was explained like that at the beginning <laughs> at the beginning it would have been great like we just need basically like the grisha yes. <laughs> the grisha breakdown but for the monsters yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway so i think that alice is going to become the big villain like sloan was very much one of the big villains and i think alice is basically like, going to take over that role but like be even bigger than sloan like alice will become more of a threat than Sloan ever was and that could like threaten Sloan maybe Sloan is like hold on I don't want you to be worse than me (laughs) because we know that Sloan wants to be like the big shot essentially in his own special way Mm -hmm. um I think that well I mean I again hopes and dreams right I I hope that Kay and August come across each other again and that it doesn't turn into this like whole hunger game situation where they're like both super traumatized and only basically are together because they have shared trauma and everything is very very tense like i hope more that they are each other's support systems and can really help each other like they'll both obviously i think this isn't even a prediction they're both going to have a lot of development in the next book um and i think it's just a matter of them coming back together again and kind of seeing each other in a different way because Kate is going to go through her own arc separately August is going to go through his own arc separately and so they'll come together and just like be like oh wow I like what you've done to yourself <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense but yeah um and then I really hope that um Henry and Emily play a bigger role I think that you know, on a more general plot level, obviously there's going to be some sort of a war that's going to happen. So my assumption would be that Henry and Emily play a bigger role because they're kind of, especially Henry, is on the front lines of everything going on. Um, so I could see Henry and August kind of going off and doing something together for the good of society. <laughs> Do I think that Henry has a chance of dying? Yes. <laughs> Um, because I feel like there has to be some sort of sacrificial thing. It's a war that's going to happen. Someone's going to die. And I think that might be Henry. Just because, again, he's on the front lines of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my last thing is... Well, I guess last two things. Again, on a character level, Ilsa is going to find some sort of a new purpose. I don't know what that purpose is going to be, but I think she'll play a role in some way because i want her to (laughs) because i love her be weird for Um, her to just sit in her room for the whole second book exactly but like i think she's also a good potential for any author to kind of say like okay like 
your big purpose that you thought was going to be your main purpose for the rest of your life has now been taken away from you but that's not the end of your story like Mm -hmm. you just have to find a new purpose like that's a really good possible storyline for someone like that Mm -hmm. um and then on a bigger level again besides the war I don't really honestly I want to predict something but it's so hard like obviously there's going to be stuff from the outside because Kate is going way out into the outside we have this like as you said, cult kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're trying to make new Sunai. I don't really know. Maybe they're just a cult and they're going to become like the third piece of the war. Maybe it's going to be some sort of like world war. I need you I to pick no one thing, Julia. Okay, I'm going to go with they're trying to make some sort of a new monster. Maybe there's a fourth monster that we don't know about. Maybe there's a whole nother class just that we have something different in there because i feel like you're probably gonna go with like sunai or something (laughs) so that's my prediction (laughs) okay all right i i have a lot (laughs) i could probably come up with like 15 more on top of this so don't worry you're you're gonna be okay (laughs) i try to keep it shut down at some point (laughs) i will try to keep mine as different from yours as possible so we can have it be as uh balanced when we tally um as as much as we can so okay Mm. and uh, just for the the listeners back home since this is different from what we've done in the past um normally whoever has picked the book that we've been reading on the podcast has read everything um however i have not read the sequel to uh the savage song i have not read i think it's (laughs) called i think it's called our dark duets um and because I have not read it, that means both Julia and I are making predictions this go around rather than just one of us. So we will see in the next episode which one of us is uh, more right about what we guessed happened. And um, as people probably remember from our uh, the Wicked King episode, I go kind of weirdly specific and crazy with my predictions. So sorry, not sorry in advance of that. Um <laughs> I'm going to kind of, as I go, like, follow the train of thought you had, Julia, in terms of, like, who and what and when and, like, what predictions I have for each of the characters, just so that way it's easier for us to tally later on. Um, I think that Sloane and Alice are going to work together at the beginning of the book to achieve a, a common goal, but that... Alice is going to get really frustrated with how much of a dickwad Sloane is, and she's going to kill him so that she can be the head honcho. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's because she's this, like, weird remnant of, like, Alice Harker, and she's like, you're Ooh. the reason my human died, and therefore... <laughs> Ooh, so adding some more facets to the uh the the monsters i kind I, of like that though Revenge. i think that would be really interesting yeah where it's like you know where they got their name from there's some like remnant 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 of well she knows was. her name right so like you're right there has to be something there potentially i think that'd be really interesting i think that'd be a compelling story I, I like that. I feel like it's too complicated for a YA, YA. but I, I like it. <laughs> it's definitely too complicated for how these monsters have been designed, but I don't care. I think it's interesting anyway. <laughs> um, I also 
so therefore I'm also predicting that Sloan will die. So we're the same same level on that one. Um, Poor Sloan. Um, not really. He should have died already. <laughs> like, come on. This um i obviously i think kate and august are going to come back together again but i'm going to make a more specific prediction here i think kate is going to come back to v city at some point in the story and have to join back up with august or get august to come help her because they have very little way of being able to contact one another. I know she has the FTF number, but I'm not 100% sure that, like, you can actually make phone calls between the districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The territories. So, I think, you know, she's going to have to be dealing with all of this ritualistic killing shit and is not going to know how to do it on her own and is going to realize that, like, she needs a Sunai and she's going to go get august to get her and help her basically deal with all of that um so i also think august is gonna have to take a step back from the war in verity potentially to to help kate deal with this new threat in the new district um i think kate is going to meet a lot of people while she's in prosperity or whatever wherever she's going but she's going to make more enemies than friends while she is there Because let's be real, our girl, she ain't friendly. She's going to get into way more fights than tea parties. (laughs) Um, I I do think that the ritualistic killings are an attempt to figure out how to create Sunai. So you are correct that that is is my prediction there. Um, Mainly because other than the Sunai themselves and Henry and Emily, no one actually knows how Sunai are created. So I think that they've probably, people from this other territory have read about the mysterious Sunai from Verity and want that on their side. And so they've had this like cult around it trying to figure out how to create it. Um, I think Emily is going to be the one that dies, not Henry. (gasps) No. I know, but it's going to be a lot, I think it's going to be a lot more impactful to August's development if he watches his mother die rather than his father. Because kind of going back to the conversation we were talking about with the sorting, Henry's always been on the front lines. His life has always been at risk, but Emily's been in the shadows. Emily's been a little bit more backseat there to take care of the kids, so to speak. Um, So she doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like she's at risk, which if you send in someone to sneak attack, monster kill her, it's going to be a lot more of a shock and surprise, and it's going to impact August and Ilsa a lot more than it would if the guy that has always put his life on the front line dies. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Kind Um, of sad, but... (laughs) I also think it's going to be either Alice or Sloane directly or someone on one of their orders that kills her because it'll be part of the war that someone like again sneak attack goes in to to kill her to kind of demoralize Henry and take a step forward in the war um I think Ilsa is going to learn how to play an instrument so she can still eat and she can't sing anymore so maybe it'd be a really cute moment actually for august to teach her how to play the violin 
because she obviously can't do like a woodwind instrument or maybe she'll take up leo's guitar i don't know as a way to like memorialize their brother before he went bad um but i think she'll be able to take take up a new instrument and i also think with that she's going to find some way to get involved and find her own brand of justice for the people that hurt her so i don't think that her new purpose is going to be sort of like happy-go-lucky willy-nilly i think this is finally going to be the impetus that makes her want to fight now that she's healed or as once she finishes healing that she'll have the impetus to fight and will actually go out there and sort of become supreme angel of death but only be able to kill monsters so in the way that we know now august can take monster souls that ilsa is going to have be able to figure out how to do that and push forward with that in, in the path of the war i like that revenge for her Mm-hmm. yep um let me think if there's anything else i can think of that i want to predict Oh, this is a prediction that probably won't come true, but I kind of hope it does. We will see the return of at least one of their classmates. In some capacity. Kind of hope it's Colin or Sam, (laughs) but who knows. We really did, like, we, like, forgot about all of them so quickly. Like, we moved on so fast from school. Well, they yeah, they left school so fast. But, you know, we got the return of classmates in Harry Potter in the seventh book, and I would like to see the return of more classmates. So. I like make, that. Remind them that they're teenagers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, oh, last prediction I'm going to make. This, again, very probably far off base, but probably towards the tail end of the book. August and Kate are going to kiss. And they're going to hate it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be one of those, like, awkward friend moments where they're like, well, maybe we sh- we should. And they do it. And then they're like, yeah, nope, that's not for us. No, thank you. I know, because I feel like we're kind of building up, like, Rom- some some sort of romantic stuff but like we are, I, but I, I can't I want see it them to... not being friends well that's my point I want it to be subverted like I think we're building a little like bit to that. romantic tension mm-hmm. but to the point it's is it it's uh you know that like the age-old question is he attractive or is he tall <laughs> right we, we ask ourselves these questions many times with men um <laughs> It's the opposite, not opposite, but it's, like, the going next to that. Is it romantic tension or is it just trauma? Hmm. Where, (laughs) this is a thing. So they're going to be dealing with their trauma together somehow in both of our predictions. But they've been, yeah, so, like, they've they've been going through all of this trauma together and these, like, (laughs) death-defying experiences, and sometimes people come out of those death-defying experiences thinking, oh, you know, like, it triggers a switch in their brain or something, and they're like, this is the person that I need to be with because, like, we've been able to get through everything together, therefore we can continue to do that with life, but it's just trauma. It's not actually romantic connection between the two of them. It's just trauma that's masquerading as romantic connection, and then they actually act on that romantic connection, and they realize, nope, that was not 
romantic. It was just trauma. So I'm hoping that that's what happens for them. <laughs> that would be very satisfying to me because I'm really happy with this not being a romance story in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, me too. I think it would – I I just feel like it's going to be really hard to make it romantic given the plot and where it's going. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, if they were two dudes or two girls – no one would even be questioning whether or not there would be a romantic connection here. They're yeah. not even the same fucking yeah. species. I know. <laughs> but because it's a boy and a girl, the world is like, romance. And, like, romance. I I don't buy into that. B.E. Schwab does not write a lot of actual romance into her books. I have not yet read a real romance plotline. Many of her books, even *The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue*, has a lot of romantic undertones in a lot of ways, and boy, does that book end the most depressing, most depressing way. Um, now, was there romance? Sure. Is that the point of the book? No. And I feel like the rest of her books are like that too, from the vibe I'm getting as I read. So, um, yep. Those are those are my predictions. I am so excited to see how these pan out. <laughs> Me too. It's Hopefully they feel so interesting. Different enough from yours, so we'll be able to know yeah. one way or the other. Um I would laugh if we tied. That'd be really funny. It would be funny. Um, okay. So last part of this podcast. Per all of our wrap up podcasts, we're gonna play a game. But this time, we're not doing trivia, because I could not come up with any interesting trivia questions about this book series or monsters. Like, it it just felt weird to do trivia associated with this, because it doesn't tie to, like, a broader genre or historical period. Um, So instead, we're going to be playing Verity-themed would-you-rather or just, like, general thought-provoking questions. Julia, are you ready? I am so excited. Yes, I am. Okay. Would you rather fight a Corsai, a Malkai, or a Sunai, and why? None of the above. <laughs> like, oh my god. Well, I definitely wouldn't want to fight a Sunai, because no one even knows how to kill them or disarm them. I will say I feel like Sunai, I'm kind of working through all three of these logically, I feel like a Sunai would be easier to talk to and to reason with unless they're a Leo with a set goal in mind and I'm for some reason standing in front of that goal. But again, like, if they're really dangerous, there's no way of disarming them. So, probably not a Sunai. (laughs) Um, I think... Which ones are the shadows? Are Corsai shadows again? Mm-hmm. The ones you have to hit the beam yeah. of light in their head. I feel like a Corsai would be the easiest because you, as long as you're kind of surrounded by light, you're fine. Like, as long as you have a light source to aid you, you have a defense versus Malkai. Malkai is scary. But, like, again, like, we are introduced to someone like Sloane who is extremely, extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Maybe the everyday Malkai isn't that smart <laughs> no so yeah but they're out. very fast and also they're vampires so. yeah 
Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I would rather fight a Corsai because at least that has an everyday kind of defense. As long as you have your light, you're fine. Fair. Fair. I'd rather what, fight what, a Tsunai. What's yours? I'd rather fight oh, a Oh, really? Why? Because I'm not a sinner. They can't kill me. That is true. Yeah. Just have a nice chat. Use it as a therapy session. Tell them my truths. Confess the things that freak me out. And then walk away. <laughs> great free therapy but again is like i've never killed someone so i'm not a sunai but like i accidentally took a bottle of shampoo out of a cvs one time does that make me a sinner <laughs> no your 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 soul only stains if you've committed the kind of sin that would create a monster okay okay so i feel good that i haven't committed assault <laughs> slapped a couple of people but they asked me to and they deserved it so it's like <laughs> I kicked a guy in his groin one time by accident. <laughs> Worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> it was by accident. Oh my god. I've kicked so many boys in the groin and I don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> Soccer field. It's a dangerous place, you know? Exactly. Actually, mine was... I remember this was with James. James definitely doesn't listen to this podcast, but if he does, then hi, James. He's, he's my old friend from high school, and it was in a chorus room. And I don't know what the context was, but I think I accidentally, like, slid on the floor and, like, kicked my leg up, and he happened to be there. So, yeah, it wasn't even, like, a sports-related thing. I slapped a kid named Trevor in a chorus room in high school. What's with chorus rooms? I don't know. The teachers never monitored us, and it was just free-for-all. Who knows? Oh, my oh God. God. Okay, next question. Would you rather live in North City or South City? South City. Oh, okay. Why? Because that's, that's, that's where August lives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like they kind of have things more together, but like could be really bad narration. Again, we don't, I feel like we don't know a whole lot about South City. We get a whole lot about North City because we have Kate and Harker and we have Sloan. <laughs> the school is set there. Um, I feel like North City feels very, very like dystopian in like every sense of a word where like they have to follow these protocols the monsters are living there like they're raising an army of malachi blah 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 like it just feels very like it's teetering on the edge of danger constantly whereas south city again could be the narration feels like they maybe have things more together um people are more likely to die from monster attacks in south city it's a little bit more run down and not as well maintained, but they have the army of FTF, like, actively trying to kill exactly. the monsters at all times. Yeah. Whereas in North City, people pay for their protection, and the monsters are under Harker's yeah. control. So as long as they wear their medallions and they make their payments, they shouldn't be attacked. Shouldn't being right. the key right. word there. Right. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing is, like, if we were an average everyday civilian, I don't know what my answer would be because I feel like you only see certain parts of what those governments kind of want you to see. Mm -hmm. So like, 
the idea of like being able to pay for your safety would if like if I had money would probably feel very good and like a very it's like paying for your health care like you're like oh like if I can pay for my health care then why do we need free health care like that's the idea that runs in so many people's heads right whereas like you because you just don't know what the alternative is like that's what you've done all your life potentially right versus I feel like South City feels much more to me from what we know like reactive so if I were in South City maybe I would be like annoyed that the monsters are just like running around but at the same time there is an army that you don't have to pay for to take care of it right so I don't know it's hard I but I feel like knowing what we know I feel like South City just feels safer in some ways it's Mm -hmm. it's fairer I think that's the thing is like I would want to live somewhere that's fair like South City so how about you I would rather live in North City. <laughs> um, 100% I want to pay for my protection and, like, feel like oh, no. I'm actively <laughs> doing something to keep myself safe rather than, mm-hmm. like, you're still, in both cases, you're still relying yeah. on someone to enforce the safety framework, but at least when I'm paying for it, like, I know that I'm actively making that choice for my safety and I could also be able to follow up on like reports and go to town halls and like figure out what they're actually doing to sort of keep that system and structure in place and whether or not my money's still worth it or if then I want to figure out another course of action to like move somewhere else um but there's also because of the way they describe this is so just like frivolous and I get that but North City is described as being like very picturesque like very you know like these nice pretty buildings very pretty veneer kind of painted across the city and I've I've gotten used to living with a certain level of luxury um and like all of my utilities working at all times and like everything (laughs) kind of generally functioning and South City is described a little bit more ramshackle a little bit more run down and I don't Mm -hmm. really know that I'd want to downgrade to that um so I would just take my chances with trusting the system in place because again like if I was an average civilian I wouldn't know all of this backstory information about what we know about like Kate and August and Harker and Flynn and all of this stuff yeah and like which of those people you could actually trust and Harker gives off an air of being really trustworthy to the average Mm -hmm. civilian because he seems really menacing so I would I would probably trust that he would keep us all safe and like could see during again those like town holly kind of style meetings that he has the monsters in check so i have a feeling i'd i'd be pretty reassured and would yeah want to want to choose north city fair enough Mm -hmm. i think you make some good points like i also probably would have a hard time giving up the luxury aspects of like what North City would be offering. Like, yeah, I want a working toilet too. That school nice. Like, come on. I know the school did sound very nice. I and want to see. Here's the thing: is like, I want to know how South City functions. Like, maybe I should add this to my predictions. We'll get to know South City more. But yeah, and it's hard too because like whenever we're with August wandering South City, it's like in the annals of South City. Like, we're going to empty warehouses where drug dealers are hiding out and, like, all of this crazy stuff. But um, then when we get North City, it's, like, picturesque, especially where their school is in the green zone. It's, like, trees and little forests and woods and suburbs. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that sounds nice. 
<laughs> I'll live out there. That sounds good. Away from the subway system. I'm not dealing with the corsair hiding in the tunnels. No, thank you. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Okay. Next next question. It's still also kind of a would you rather, but I didn't word it that way. Which of Kate's weapons would be your preferred weapon of choice? And she uses a couple of different ones throughout. So I think beam of light, like the really, really bright UV lights that she uses to defeat the Corsi. Um, her little daggers that are hidden all over her person or a gun. I think practically speaking, probably beams of light. For me personally, I don't know how to use daggers or a gun. I don't trust myself to use daggers or a gun. Like, I think I would fumble that so badly. <laughs> um, but I also think, like, you know, it works on Corsi. We know that. But then also, at the very least, you could potentially kind of, for a second, blind or take a Malkai by surprise, or even a Sunai for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, bright, A bright beam of light flashing at at their face and their eyes will at least take them a bit by surprise so you can kind of try and defend yourself for at least a second yeah um but mostly for me it comes down to being able to use it and the only one i could use would be the beam of light (laughs) what about you i would probably say the little daggers um because if we're fighting the same enemies kate's fighting like for the corsi Let's be real, I'm not outside of my house after dark, so I'm not really worried that the Corsai are coming. (laughs) Uh, Or that I will have to fight them in any way, shape, or form. And I sleep with light on constantly. There's always light on in my house, so I don't really think that the Mm. Corsai would be sneaking into my house to get me because my owl nightlight would defeat them. Um, (laughs) But, you know, on the off chance that I end up in a situation with someone who's not as affected by the light that they could, like, come after me. I'm not, I definitely cannot use a gun, nor do I want to use a gun. They're really destructive and dangerous, and you can cause so much damage with them for people, not just monsters. So I still would definitely not want a gun. Um, But I think the little daggers are things that, like, I could keep hidden around my apartment, you know, in various places, have, like, one or two in hidden places on my body at all times, And if someone comes after me and, like, I end up, you know, getting, like, gripped or, like, roughhousing or with an attacker, it would be a lot easier to get a hold of a little dagger and stab them in the heart than it would be for me to try and shuffle around with a big beam of light if I'm, like, taken by surprise and definitely would not be able to use a gun. So I think I could, I feel as if I could maintain my surroundings in a way that I wouldn't need the other ones um but if i was surprised and attacked in close quarters i would want the daggers yep not that i'm trained in knife fights but i did (laughs) attend two martial arts classes where we did learn how to fight with knives so i have some basic level of training i mean it's just a little stabby stab right (laughs) just a little stabby stab so come on come on okay this one i think is fun because it's a little bit more open-ended if you were a sunai what would your instrument be Ooh, i like this question it is more creative because we have more free reign over this i guess mm-hmm. um 
I think similar to August, I would probably have a violin because number one, I grew up playing the violin. So there, there's that. <laughs> like I at least know how to use it. Yeah. Um, but number two is also my favorite instrument besides piano to listen to. Um, like any sort of classical music I have on playing while I'm studying is going to be a violin or a piano. But with a piano, you can't really <laughs> take a piano very far. <laughs> like you can have, I guess, like your kind of electric keyboard that you stow somewhere but those things are heavy i can just imagine you taking the little like piano apps that you can get on your phone <laughs> taking that around. oh my god i've tried using those and it's so hard to play on them because they're so small and then you have to like switch and like I, know. I don't know how people do it yeah, so practically speaking, a piano is not going to work out, similar to my the little daggers and a gun for me. Like, <laughs> I love it, but I'm not going to go far with it. And then the other instrument that I could play is clarinet, and I hate the clarinet with a strong burning passion. I do not know why I play clarinet for so much of my life. <laughs> I don't like how it sounds. I can't play it to save my life. <laughs> like, oh, God, imagine. I mean, I guess the thing with a clarinet is, like, you would knock someone out because it's just, I mean, sorry to any clarinet players there, but like, it's not the best instrument. It's like, I think in terms of like a woodwind instrument, you're going to go for a flute or an oboe. Like at least those two kind of sound nice. The clarinet, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have you listened to an oboe? Oboes sound way worse than clarinets. I don't mind oboes, but you know what? Here's the thing is I'm biased against clarinets because I had to listen to them for so much of my life. We didn't have any oboes in our band, so it was oh, just the clarinet so that's why section you think oboes sound section. nice. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes. Oboes sound way worse than clarinets. If you're going to pick a woodwind <laughs> instrument that sounds better than a clarinet, you pick a saxophone. Oh, no. Come on, but, Julia. like, imagine playing jazz as someone's, like, dying. <laughs> Leo would definitely do that. Are you kidding? <laughs> or, like, a trumpet. Oh, my God, imagine a trumpet. That's not a woodwind instrument, but now I'm just thinking of, like... <laughs> trumpet like the trumpet noise wafting out of a window and you're like oh yeah that person's dying (laughs) oh boy oh my god okay so so uh, violin 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 what about you um so (laughs) i hope you're not picking picking a clarinet (laughs) no but i was picking an elbow But here's my reason. Because if I'm killing someone because they're a murderer, I'm going to make that experience as painful for, painful oh for them as humanly God. possible. <laughs> and oboes sound like shit on their own. Oh my God, so that I poor would purposefully person. pick an oboe to just make the experience as horrible for everyone as possible. But then you have to listen to it constantly, like when you're like going to feed and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I just I think it'd be really funny but the other um I don't play the oboe so like I would have to learn how to play the oboe I played the flute when I was in middle school band but I don't want a flute I'm good without that um guitar string instruments seem boring to me so like I'm I'm okay without that and then I I can sing so I might also take up like Elsa's mantle of like just using voice as my instrument I could see Um, that for you 
I could 100% see myself going, like, scary soprano with that, that like, that little voice from Frozen 2 that, like, ah, and just, like, killing people using that. That'd be fun. So, yeah. You would be the singer Aurora as mm-hmm. Sunai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, like, this Nordic mystical voice that's just, like, putting people to death. <laughs> Do you see why I liked Ilsa oh, so God. much? I know. <laughs> Uh, yep. Um, okay. Next <laughs> Sunai related question. If you were a Sunai, what would your tally marks take the shape of? I don't know. What would yours be? I am not 100% certain. That's what <laughs> I need to think about it. Like, mm, I like part of me wants to be like, oh, they'd be little hearts, but I don't think that that would be true. Um, you know what? I will say, I will say, my tally marks would take the form of little arrows because I'm always trying to like move forward or like be directional, and you know, I would say each day that like I don't do that it would be a reminder that I'm on the right path forward that I'm making the right choices and like continuing to manage my hunger and like manage myself in a way that is positive and uh, helpful for society and I would like that reminder that I'm actually moving forward so little arrows so kind of like August tallies but like with the little sign at the end very symbolic mm-hmm. I honestly think mine would be boring they would just be like dots like something very organized and clean because that's who I am like I need to have it clean and organized or I'm gonna like lose my mind especially if they're all over my body oh what a cute little Virgo you are I know (laughs) oh my god did I tell you I do you know the unpacking game on switch Nintendo switch the pack on yeah it's called unpacking okay first of all I actually don't know if you would like it, but, like, my Virgo self loved it. You literally play as an, well, you don't, you don't play as anyone. You're, like, unpacking boxes for this person, and you, like, unpack them throughout their life. So, like, from when they're a kid to when they're an adult at different points in their life. So you have, like, a storyline, but it's told through unpacking their boxes, I played that in one day. Like, I finished it in one entire day because I was like, oh my god, this was made for me. (laughs) You organize everything in shelves. You hang up the clothing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a Virgo. (laughs) I'm really happy for you that you found that. Thank you. You are correct that that sounds like a game I probably would not like. (laughs) No, I don't think you would like it. I, you know, I feel like going back to my cancer self I would probably really like watching you play it because I would love to see the emotional emotional connection you have to the game well what's fun is like piecing together what's happening in their life as Mm -hmm. you're kind of going along you're like oh she's going to school now like that kind of thing and I would love to talk to you about those things I just would not want to do the action of playing that game Oh, I have to tell you about another game that I thought you would love, but I'll do that later. <laughs> it's not unpacking. <laughs> anyway. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, all right. Next 
question. Um, would you rather have Alice Harker or Emily Flynn as your mother? Emily Flynn, hands down. I mean, poor Alice Harker. We really don't get to know her very well. I will say, like, she clearly cares about her daughter, so the safety aspect would be a really big plus. But for me, Emily just feels much more like an independent mother type, which is, like, what I grew up with. Like, my mother was... I mean, she, like, looked after me, and she was very worried about my safety and stuff, but I feel like Emily is more of the type that's, like, similar to my mom, where she's like, okay, as long as you're being safe and you're letting me know where you're going and stuff... I'm generally worried about you, but I'm not going to have, like, like a, a, she obviously stopped him from, like, going off to join the force, which I think is a very fair thing to do. Right. But I feel like she's much more easygoing um, mm. than perhaps Alice might have been. But again, I, I re- we really don't know that much about Alice, aside from the fact that she, like, brought her daughter to safety or tried to. True. Um, so for me, Emily just seems the more relatable Stable. choice, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I'm going to pick Alice, so you're, you're good. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I say Alice because I really, like, I think as a kid, if I was, like, a teenager, I would say the same thing that you're saying, where it's, like, getting that independence, that, like, trust while well, she's still there for you and you know you can fall back on her, like, having that ability to, like, really live your own life and, like, move out into the world would be great. As a teenager, now as a parent, <laughs> uh, I feel very differently, I think, and so that's why I'm gravitating a little bit more towards Alice, where she dropped everything to make sure Kate was safe. She moved away from her husband, she moved away from her life, from her family, into the middle of the nowhere woods to make sure that her daughter was safe and away from these horrible influences when she was a young kid because the other thing with Emily is like she's raising independent creatures and she's trying to help them realize what's right from wrong but they're actually indestructible like they don't need a lot of her protection and I don't know how much of that protective instinct she might have for human children um whereas Alice like Mm -hmm. puts everything above and beyond to like make sure that her very small very fragile human daughter is safe and when she realizes that well it doesn't turn out well for her obviously but when she realizes that her husband and his pet monster are not making smart choices and putting her daughter's life at risk she leaves and i think that is a very brave and noble choice that she makes now granted i get that sloan kills her and harker asks for her to be killed But if she would have been able to escape, she would have been putting Kate's best interests at heart and, like, giving Kate the best potential life to, like, actually be alive um, and make it to 18 that, you know, she could. And I, I really sort of just, like, appreciate and resonate with that, and that's what I would want... Not my mom didn't do that. Like, she always put me first in so many different ways, but I think, um... It would, it would just be, like, a nice motherly instinct to be able to see that Emily doesn't quite get there for that with me. Mm-hmm. I feel like Emily and Alice would be really good friends. Like, yes. if they had ever been able to meet, they would have been – because they're really kind of the yin and yang of each other. Like, mm-hmm. where Alice is lacking some things, maybe Emily has, and Emily's lacking some things Alice has. And, like, they would just 
to like be able to like do that motherly bonding where they're like well what are you doing with with your kids like what can i kind of improve like that kind of stuff um oh too bad they'll never meet maybe emily will meet the uh reincarnation of alice <laughs> i hope not but no. actually maybe yeah. i do hope it because then that might be my prediction come true <laughs> true <laughs> We don't want it to happen, but in terms of prediction telling, yes. Do I want to win the competition? Yes. Yes. Do I want Emily to die? No. But. <laughs> okay, and then the last question. A very, you know, classic kind of would you rather question. Would you rather have to go on feeding trips with Leo and know you would be perfectly safe the whole time or trapped in a room with hungry Ilsa with a 50% chance of survival? I do not want to be anywhere near Leo, even if it's a 50% chance of survival. I feel like you still have a slight percent chance of dying around Leo no matter what because he's going to be like, oh, if there's an opportunity to better my uh, plan that I have in mind... All hell is going to break loose. So, like, you're mm-hmm. still putting that kind of risk on yourself whenever you're going anywhere with Leo. With Ilsa, I feel like she still has a slight conscience, even when she's hungry. So you still, like, even though there is that 50% chance that something bad is going to happen, I feel like at the same time, it would, like, my conscience would be better with Ilsa's conscience. <laughs> oh, I 100% agree. It just feels agree. more... I 100% yeah. agree. I would much rather be trapped in a room with Ilsa. Because let's be real, even if somehow there was sin on my soul and I did die, I would die so calmly and peacefully. Being sung to your death. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Cool. Her death seemed lovely and easy. And like, I honestly, not that I want to die. I really don't. But if that's how I'm going, fine. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Very true. Okay. Tis the end of the game, Julia. Oh, the end of the Savage Song. The end of wow. the Savage Song. I know. I know. It's kind of crazy. It's been months. <laughs> we finally hit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when did we start this book? I think in June, because I have notes that date back to June. I'm gonna yeah. Like I'm gonna end of June. Check our schedule when our first uh, episode recording was June fifth. We did the intro. <laughs> it's taken us over six. That months. is incredible. <laughs> it's not what we envisioned when we started this podcast. But you know what? Sometimes life no. gets in the way, and that is okay. It's okay. We had a lot. We both had a lot going on the past few months. So. We did, and but we have plans for the future, so let's talk about those quickly before uh, we do our socials and everything that we don't use. Um, so <laughs> I know I need to get all that. <laughs> but plans for the future. So now that this savage song is over, um, we will be filming an episode next week, concluding the Cruel Prince series. So we'll be doing a one episode arc of. Uh, the Queen of Nothing. Actually, actually, we won't be concluding The Cruel Prince. I don't even know why I said that. But we will be doing an episode next week where we will be discussing um, The Queen of Nothing, which is the conclusion to The Cruel Prince trilogy. We will, at a later date, also be reading um, how the King of Alfheim 
Elfheim Came to Hate Stories, I think is what it's called, which is sort of like a companion short story collection about Cardin and his childhood, I think, but who knows? We'll see. Um, but that will be in the future, and we will also eventually read, do a one-episode arc of um, Our Dark Duet, which I believe is the name to the sequel of The yep. Savage Song. Um, so we will be doing that at some point in the future, but... Before we get to those, other than the, the Queen of Nothing, um, we will be starting our next full book for the podcast, which, Julia, do you want to tell everyone what it is and a quick preview of what it's about? The actual real reality of Jennifer James, which I just forgot who it's written by. Uh, let me look that up. <laughs> um I can give a quick actual, let's see, actual real reality of Jennifer James, which came out a long time ago. I mean, not like super long ago. Um, Yeah, August 2006, authors Jillian Shields, uh, which I actually picked up randomly in a bookstore in Montreal, and it's one of my go-to comfort books. And it is a very literal title. So there's a reality show, a girl in school um basically the equivalent of high school over in nowhere england (laughs) um it's it's interesting and very funny i think it's gonna be it's gonna make for some really good discussions um there's a lot of if anyone's gonna like read along with us (laughs) i really suggest getting the hard copy um like a physical copy because there's a lot of British terms in the book, which she has to translate. So there's footnotes at the bottom of every single page, essentially, to explain what's going on. Like, it's not even just, like, the terms. It's, like, people are explained in it. References are explained in it. It's really, really funny, though. So I'm very excited. I'm also very excited to be at, um, on the, on the unknowing end of a book for a while (laughs) it'll be nice not that i i don't feel that way about the queen of nothing i obviously do but it'll be nice to have it stretched out for a little while and be back into the routine of podcast reading and we're gonna pause on you know the sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff yes most fantasy really so it's a reality book in every sense of the term. <laughs> Literally, yes. <laughs> Literally a reality book. And it's told in a diary style, which is going to be very interesting. So This is true. But, oh, and there's so many pop culture references. Like, I want to go back and look at pop culture in the UK in 2006, because I think that there's a lot in there from what I can remember being alive in 2006 mm. and being online by then that she puts into the book and just like changes the names of people <laughs> but they're like photocopies of the people like there's some that are very obvious like you'll read the name you'll be like I know exactly who she's talking about mm-hmm. and then there are others that are kind of smaller where like if you were into UK pop culture which I was <laughs> in 2006 you'll know kind of what she's referencing so it's it's a lot of fun to make those references amazing yeah but thanks everyone for tuning in um appreciate it i know this one's a little bit long but we had a lot to talk about (laughs) so it's a-okay 
uh, it was fun for us, even if it's not fun for everyone else. What's matter? What matters is that it's fun for us. <laughs> so if you've made it this far, honestly, kudos to you. <laughs> and you can follow us on our social media that we rarely post on. Um, on Twitter, we're at unangstpod. On Instagram and Facebook, we're at unnecessaryangstpod. And you can also email us to chat with us at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. But with that, we're going to get on up out of here and go to bed <laughs> and get some sleep because <laughs> we are tired. Yes, uh, so hope everyone has a lovely week and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.